your Bibles now, open them to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And today we come finally to the end of this 15th chapter. And we've been studying for quite some time on the resurrection of Christ. And we've been talking about what happens to our bodies when Jesus comes back. And one of the things that we've learned is that the body that we'll receive that comes out of the grave will be a a glorious body of a vastly improved body that's made just like the body of Jesus Christ. Now, we've been talking about that body, but we really haven't talked so much about the event. There's an event that takes place that causes this great transformation. Now, it's uh, when Jesus comes back is what we're talking about, that great event. When your body goes into the grave, when you die, it goes there and it stays there. And we'd save a whole lot of time if that weren't true because we wouldn't have to have funerals and there would be no cemeteries and we wouldn't have coffins and all of those things. And sometimes I think that it would really be nice if when we were through with this body, when the time came for us to go, that we just sort of turned around and waved at everybody and said, I'll see you later. And immediately we were transformed, translated to be in the presence of God and we really wouldn't have to worry about what happens to our body. Well, the truth of the matter is, you don't have to worry what happens to your body because God's going to take care of it. We never have to worry about it because God has provided for it. And so this body that you spend so much time in, the body that you make sure that you're fed, you're clean, you're clothed, God's going to take care of that body. And so we have no fear of leaving the body behind. We're going to get it back in much better condition than we left it. I know there are some people who are really worried about their bodies when they die. My wife doesn't like bugs. And she can't bear the thought of a bug crawling on her. And so I know that when, she, when she's ready to go, it's her time. She's going to make sure that, that everything's prepared. I mean, the best coffin that can be sealed so not even an ant could get through. That's what she wants. But the truth of the matter is you don't have to worry about your body. Because God's going to take care of it. You're going to get it back in better shape. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. And we're also going to add something into the mix. I want to talk about the event that causes all of this to take place. There's something that causes the change, that causes the transformation. And also, as we talk about it today, we're going to talk about people who are alive when Jesus comes back. Let's stand, if you would, please, and we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we begin reading today with verse number 50. For those of you that may be visiting with us today, one, one thing we do in Berean Baptist Church is we go straight through the Scriptures. So we pick a book and we start studying it and we just go down through what the Scripture says. Verse number 50 is where we are today in chapter 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And somebody said, you know, that, that's a really great verse to put over the nursery door at the church. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall all be changed. Verse number 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, text that we've read today, and we do sincerely look for the coming of Jesus. We look for this great transformation that's going to take place. Lord, help us as we go through the message today that folks will understand better, and may we really be looking for this blessed event. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I have an unusual thing I'm going to do today. Today, I'm going to give you the conclusion of the message up front. Usually what I do when I preach a message, we, you know, I introduce the subject, we try to develop a few points along the way as we go to try to explain what we're talking about. Then we come to the end of the sermon, and I try there to give you an exhortative conclusion about what we've just talked about. Today we're going to do it differently, because I'm going to start the message today with the conclusion of the message. Don't get too excited about it, because I'm going to preach the other points along the way, so you're going to get more than just the conclusion But the thing that I want to conclude with today, the conclusion of my sermon is this, and that is the coming of Christ. Jesus is coming back. Without doubt, Jesus is going to come again, and you need to be ready for him to return. Does it make any difference what other events that you're prepared for? This is the one event that you ought to be absolutely sure that you are aware of and that you know right down in your heart, and you need to be prepared for it. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. There's a time when a change is going to take place. Jesus is coming back. And friends, there will be a marvelous change in the life of believers, but there is going to be a monstrous change in the lives of unbelievers. And you need to be prepared when Jesus comes again. There are two important aspects of the second coming that that I really want you to notice as the conclusion of the message today. And get this, this is the conclusion. Two very important things. Number one, his coming is sure. His coming is sure. There's no doubt at all that it's going to happen. You might think, well, Christians have been talking about this for 2,000 years. People have been talking about Jesus coming back, and Jesus hasn't come back. I really don't think that Jesus is coming again. And I would tell you, first of all, it doesn't matter what you think. God doesn't answer to you. The God who wrote the Word is the one who says that He's coming back. And so God's not on your timetable. And if you have enough sense to believe that there is a creator, and he's revealed himself in so many ways, if you believe that there is a creator, then surely you can believe that he's able to deliver a message to us, a word to us, that when he says he's coming back, he absolutely will do that. And you need to understand that in no way is God subject to what he has created. Now, I hope today that I'm not trying to convince anybody that there is a God. I mean, your, your presence here, that's my presupposition. You came to church today because you believe there is a God, and if you believe there is a God, then you ought to believe him when he says he's coming back to this earth. But as I think about that, I'm pretty sure that you're convinced of that as well. Uh, If I were to ask everybody in the room today, hold your hand up if you believe that Jesus is coming back. I doubt very seriously if anyone here would say, no, I don't believe in the second coming of Christ. So you don't need me to go through all the proofs in the Bible. I don't have to pull out all the scriptures that prove Jesus is coming back. I think you already believe that. The question that most lingers on people's mind is not, is he coming back? The question is, when is he coming back? 
And as far as when, the Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't say when Jesus is going to come back. Now, there are many people that go into the Scriptures, they try to find different passages that they think says that this will be the time that Jesus comes back. They try to calculate the days, they try to name the year, name the seasons, whatever it might be. But very simply, the Word of God says, you can't know when Jesus is coming again. Jesus said, not even the angels have this information. So much less would those of us who are mortal men ever know when Jesus is coming back. So the Bible doesn't tell us when, but it does tell us that this, his coming is sudden. His coming is sure, and his coming is also sudden. We don't know when, but when it does happen, it's going to happen suddenly. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. And there you see Paul using two examples of the suddenness of the coming of Christ. One of those is, he says he comes as a thief. And all of us know that the coming of a thief is sudden. A thief doesn't call you up and say, I'll be there at 3 a.m., so leave the lights on. No, a, a thief comes suddenly. You don't know when a thief is coming. He also used the example of a woman that labors with a child. She's in childbirth. And the baby doesn't call you up and say, pack the suitcases, I'll meet you at the hospital. The baby doesn't do that because these are sudden events. They are things that, that are going to happen very quickly. And so it is with the coming of Christ. It will happen without warning. And friend, there won't be a time for you to change your mind and say, oh, I see him coming now. And what that preacher said, oh, that was really true. He is coming, so I think that I'll believe in him now. You won't have time for that. There's no time to change your mind about it. You have to take care of the matter of belief before he comes. And that's why I tell you today, you need to be prepared for this. You need to be prepared that Jesus is coming. You know, there's some people who think that the coming of Jesus uh, will be like, Jesus is going to parachute down to earth. Or or Jesus is going to come down in a hot air balloon. And we'll see him way off in the distance and somebody will poke somebody else and say, what is that up there? Bird or plane? What is that up there? And slowly and slowly, Jesus starts getting closer and closer. And across the blimp of Jesus, it says, second coming. That's not the way it's going to be. The Bible teaches the coming is sudden. And so the conclusion of my message today, you need to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right now. You need to believe, be a believer in him now because when Jesus comes back for the unbeliever, he does not come back with peace and safety. Jesus comes back with destruction. That's the conclusion of the message, and I want you to very clearly get that today. So now the conclusion's over. We can go and talk about something else. Let's get some other points here. What I want to talk to you now mostly about is about believers. And I want to tell you about the good news of what happens to believers and also those that are, uh, or to believers that are living and believers that are dead at the time that Jesus comes again. So number two, we're going to talk about the change in believers. There's a change that will take place. And I want you to notice here why a change is so necessary. We find it in verse number 50. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. There's the reason why there has to be a change. And that's because the bodies that we live in are not compatible with heaven. We have a body that was made to live on this earth. 
We have a body that's made to live in this peculiar environment. And so this body can't even naturally exist on one of the other planets. If you were able to travel to another planet, you'd have to have an environment made there suitable for the body in which you live. Now there we're talking about chemical changes that have to take place. But when we're talking about heaven, we're not talking about chemical reactions and chemical changes and breathing oxygen and air and have to worry about those kinds of things. We're talking about a change that has to take place in the inherent corruption of the body. You see, this body is a sinful body, and great changes have to take place in it. So we can't live in heaven with a body that will be broken down by disease. We can't live in a body that will decay, because we're going to be in an environment where there is no disease, where there is nothing that defiles, there is no sickness, there is no death. And so we have to have a completely different body, and so a change has to take place. As I said, when you go to another planet, if you could do that, then you have to have an environment that's made for you. We have uh, astronauts that, that get on the space shuttle, and they go to the International Space Station. But when they get there, they find an environment that's made for an earthen body. When they get there, they find a, a, an atmosphere that's just like the one that we live here on Earth, so they're able to live. Now, before you could even get into the space program, one of the things they do is they, they check your body out. They check you out to see if there's any physical illness in you. And they want to make sure that you're perfectly sound before you go. But they also know this. When you get there, there are going to be germs in your body. And when they get there, they know if you stay there long enough, you will die. Just changing that environment's not going to change anything because it's made for your physical body. But friends, when we get to heaven, we have to have a body that's suited for heaven. There can't be any corruption in the body. And so the body that goes into the grave is not going to come out like it went in. It has to be a different body that's raised in incorruption. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 here, Paul says, But I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I show you a mystery, he says. And that's not a mystery like Sherlock Holmes would figure out. And you have to have somebody like that to figure out the mystery. A mystery in the Bible is something that hasn't been previously revealed. And the only way that you can find it out is that God shows you the meaning of it. This is exactly what Paul, or what God did with Paul and the apostles. He showed them the meaning of this. He showed them that there's going to be a body that will be fit for heaven. So he says here, we shall not all sleep. And that means not everybody's going to die. He says, we shall all be changed, though. So not everybody is going to die, but we know, in fact, that there are many people that have already died. Many people, of course, that believe in Jesus, they have died. So what kind of change has to take place in those who have already died? Well, there has to be a renewal for those that are dead. Now remember here, we're talking about believers. I'm not speaking of unbelievers right now. We're talking about believers. And these are people that have died all the way in history past, all the way up to the very time that we're living today, and until the time that Jesus comes again, there has to be a renewal for that dead body. The Bible calls it waking up. Waking up out of sleep. And that's a wonderful thing that that reference that the Word of God gives to dying, because for a Christian, the Bible says it's just like falling asleep. And so when Jesus comes back, there's going to be an alarm clock that goes off, and all the dead bodies are going to arise. Verse number 52 says that there's a trumpet that will sound, and all the dead in Christ shall rise. 
When I was young, I used to take piano lessons and I took violin lessons. And I remember I, I would be practicing at home and, and uh, my dad would be in his study going over a message or something, getting prepared to preach for the next Sunday. And sometimes he would say, could you keep down that noise in there? You're going to wake the dead. Well, I couldn't wake the dead, not with my instruments. But folks, there is an instrument. There's a sound coming that is going to wake the dead. It's going to be like an alarm clock that goes up. And when Jesus comes back, all of those dead bodies in Christ are going to rise. And not one of them is going to reach over and hit the snooze button and say, let's wait a little bit longer. They'll be pulled up out of those, bod- uh, out of those graves immediately. Now, I want you to note this then. That the trumpet call, the trumpet that sounds is invigorating. It's going to wake up the dead. John MacArthur tells an interesting story about the Civil War and uh, in relation to this passage. He said there were some soldiers that were sleeping out in a field during the Civil War. And on the night, uh, the night uh, as they were sleeping there in the night, there was a, a snowfall. Four or five inches of snow fell that night. The next morning, reveille blew. And the chaplain reported that when that reveille blew, it reminded him of this, of this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. Because all of those bodies laying on the ground out there, they were covered up with that snow just like a burial mound. And when reveille sounded, when the trumpet sounded, all of those soldiers got up. And he said, that reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When the trumpet sounds, when Jesus comes back, sleeping bodies will arise. Now, the body that comes out of that grave is going to be a body fitted just like the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about the body that goes into the grave because God's going to pull that body back together instantaneously. It'll be called up out of the ground. No matter where uh, all the molecules have gone, no matter how much decay the body's in, it doesn't matter at all because God has the power to raise that body in incorruption. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. So it's a glorified, incorruptible body that comes out of the grave. Early Christians didn't really understand that. Now, for sure, they did believe in in, in the resurrection. They did believe the body was going to come out of the grave, but they weren't too sure about what that body would be like when it came out. One of the reasons that God has given us the Holy Spirit as Christians is that the Holy Spirit would live in us as a guarantee of the redemption of our body. When you're saved... Your soul and your spirit, those are redeemed. And and when you die, they immediately go to be with the Lord. But your body has not yet been redeemed. That's waiting for the resurrection. Paul said in the book of Romans that we're waiting for the resurrection of this body. So early Christians didn't really understand all of that. So one of the things that they would do is they would take extra precautions to try to preserve the body. That's why if you go to Europe, you find catacombs and cities there. And that's because Christians had the, uh, the view of trying to preserve that body. But it really didn't matter. It doesn't matter about that physical condition. Jesus is going to bring the body back together. Well, if Jesus is going to raise the dead first, and, and that's what the Scripture says, what will happen to people that are living? And there are many will be many living believers, of course, when Jesus comes back. The world, I think, will be filled with living believers. So what happens to them? Are they going to be killed so that they can be raised with everyone else? No, Paul has an answer for that. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, he says. So there's a renewal for those that are dead. But I want you to notice also there is a rapture for those that are living. 
Now here in in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul just states it very simply. He says, living Christians will be changed. He actually gave us more information in a letter that he wrote earlier. Now this actually comes in order in your Bible after 1 Corinthians, but it was actually written earlier, and that's the book of 1 Thessalonians. I want you to turn there for just a minute to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to read a, a few verses here about living Christians who will be raptured. We'll start at verse number 13 in chapter 4 because that's where Paul talks about those that are dead when Christ comes back. And he says they will be raised. Same thing he says in 1 Corinthians 15. But look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13. I hear pages turning. Find it there. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, let me just point out, there's an important factor about the resurrection. Why did Jesus need to come out of the grave? This is one of the important elements of salvation. You must believe that Jesus died and rose again. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain... Those that are living when Jesus comes back, those that are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them. That means they will not precede them. They'll not go to be with Jesus first. We shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 15. Now look at verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. There's some people who read that passage of Scripture, and they say, no, wait, wait, wait just a minute. There doesn't say anything about the rapture there. I mean, rapture is not in that. I don't see rapture there. Why, why do you say that Christians are going to be raptured? And they say rapture is not in the Bible, so that is an unbiblical concept. Well, hold on just a minute, because rapture is actually the Latin translation of the Greek words that we read in verse 17 where it says caught up, caught up. The Latin word for that is rapturo, and that's where we get rapture. And what it simply means is that the living Christians will be taken up and they'll be changed to be like Jesus without dying. You know, I told you this story, I think it was some time ago, about, about the, uh, the preacher who received a call from a telemarketer. And uh, the telemarketer was trying to sell him cemetery plots. So on this day, the telemarketer calls, and the preacher thought that he'd have a little bit of fun with her and, and also try to teach her something about the Bible at the same time. So he listened to her, go through her whole speech about how he needed a cemetery plot. So listening to the whole thing, he came, comes down to the end, and he says, well, I have a couple of questions for you. You know how telemarketers are. They sense they've got a sale here. And so they've got, uh, they've got a script that's laid out, and the script answers all objections. The script has the answers to any question you can possibly conceive. The telemarketer is going to be able to answer what you say. So the preacher asks the lady, says, do you rent those cemetery plots? And she said, what? He said, do you rent cemetery plots? Well, she started fumbling through all her papers trying to find the answer to that question. She'd never been asked that before. Do you rent cemetery plots? She said, why, why would you ask a question like that? And he said, well, first of all, I don't think that I'm going to need it. That's number one, because Jesus is coming back. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to take me home to be with him. And then he said, 
even if Jesus doesn't come back before I die, that when I come back, when he comes back, he's going to take my body out of the grave and take it home to be with him. So I'm not going to need that cemetery plot for very long. And the telemarketer had no idea what to say. She was flustered, and he said, that's the first time a telemarketer ever hung up on him. So if you're living, when Jesus comes back, you don't have to worry about dying because you're going to be changed. You'll be caught up. You'll be raptured. That's what the Word of God says. So when Jesus comes again, if you're living, you'll watch the dead bodies of saints, those who are believers in Christ. You'll watch them come up out of their graves, head off to be with Jesus, and you will be transformed also to go to be with him. Now, a moment ago in the conclusion of the message, the conclusion that came at the beginning, I told you that Christ's coming is sudden. Well, there's also something here about timing in the change that takes place that's mentioned in this scripture. Here's what you need to know. The timing of it is immediate. The change that takes place is immediate. Verse number 52 says, It happens in the moment, and there a moment is defined as the twinkling of an eye. How long does it take for your eye to recognize light? I mean, how long does it take for, for light to uh, hit your eye, to, to go to the, travel to the optic nerve, to be, to be interpreted as light, and your brain sees that, and you actually recognize light. How long does that take? doesn't take very long, does it? You go over there, and you flip on the light switch in a room, and it seems like before you can even think, before you can do anything, the light comes on. And that's the way it will be when Jesus translates, when he transforms living believers. It happens so fast so fast that you can't even react to what happens. So the trumpet sounds, and you're not going to say anything like that, like, uh, well, I need to go get on my new suit because Jesus has come back, and I've got to go to heaven, so I need to be dressed properly, got to get the new suit on. You don't have time to do that. It happens immediately. The transformation takes place in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. You know, I think it's a good thing that when Christ comes back, he's going to clothe us with his righteousness and take us into heaven some people, even in church, would be mighty embarrassed if Jesus come back and they had to go in the clothing that they wear to church. And I don't mean, is it old? I don't mean anything. I mean, is it revealing? I mean, are you showing too much when you come to church? Some people are going to be ashamed, I think. But the good thing for this is that we'll be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, changed immediately. Well, I could spend all day talking about that aspect of the second coming. If you come on Sunday nights, we're studying the book of Revelation. We're going to get into a lot of things that will happen when Jesus comes again. But I want to talk to you about two more important pieces of this. Now, remember, this is the resurrection chapter. Paul has stated all these things about the resurrection to remind us of this very important meaning. What does the resurrection mean to us? Well, one of the things it means is that we have victory in Jesus. What kind of victory do we have in relation to the context of this message? Well, the context of this, the victory that we have, number three, is the conquest of death. The conquest of death. Now, let's rewind just a little bit and go back to verse 29 in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. The resurrection is a demonstration of Christ and the believer's ultimate victory over death. Way back in the Garden of Eden, Satan tempted Adam to sin. And when Adam sinned against God, it brought forth death. In the book of James, James wrote that the conclusion of sin is always death. And so the worst enemy that all of us face is this enemy of death. 
And, and every one of us, no matter who we are, eventually we will die. And that's because sin causes death. But I want you to look at what Paul says in verse 55. He's taking into consideration the second coming of Christ and the raising up of believers. And Paul says there, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Because of sin, this mortal body has been stung with death. But he's talking about resurrection now. And because of the resurrection, here's what you need to know. Death's sting is extracted. When Jesus died on the cross... He guaranteed resurrection from the dead, and he took the sting out of death. Well, how did he do that? Well, he did it by removing the guilt of sin. Death can only reign where there is sin. And didn't we just say that that death came because of sin? And so if Christ comes to remove sin, then he can also remove death. And so the stinger of death comes out with the removal of sin. When you get stung by a wasp or by a bee, when that stinger is in there, the pain is there. You feel the pain, but you pull the stinger out. And that's what Christ did with the resurrection. He pulled out the stinger of death, and he did it by taking our sins upon him. That's what Peter wrote, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. And so death's sting has been extracted. But also notice that death's victory is erased. He says in verse 54, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? In verse 55, O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I can imagine that when Jesus died on the cross, that Satan was doing his victory dance. He'd been trying over and over again to take Jesus. Every time that he tried to capture him and tried to kill him, Jesus escaped. But then finally, Jesus was taken to the cross, and there I think that Satan thought that he'd won a victory. He didn't realize that God was in in control, the perfect timing that Christ would die. And uh, it was Jesus himself who, 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 when he was taken, when he was tried, when he was mocked, when he was about to be crucified, he told those who would crucify him, you have no power against me, and, and the only reason you can crucify me is because I permit it. I go to my death willingly. But nonetheless, Satan believed that he'd won. And so when Jesus went to the cross and they put him in the tomb, Satan probably stood up over that tomb with that victory dance. I finally won. Death has conquered the Son of God. And to make sure, they put a guard in front of the tomb. They sealed it with the seal of the Roman government. But the Bible says none of that could hold him. The grave, death, could not hold him. Jesus came out of the grave. And so by doing that, the victory of death was taken away. Death was erased. Now, Christians or Christ's resurrection, his resurrection from the grave and the initial phase of the second coming of Christ coming back to this earth, that is simply a foretaste of what there is to come. Because one of the things that Jesus will do, not only does he remove that stinger of death, and not only does he erase death, but he comes back to reverse all the damage that was done by sin and death. Every year we have forest fires in California. Acres, thousands of acres are burned. I remember a couple of years ago when I was down in San Diego when they were having the worst of the fires there, that, that uh, there was just thousands of acres. There were homes that were burned. And there were brave men and women that went out there to fight those fires. And finally they were able to, to put the fires out. But there's one thing they could not do. 
they could not reverse the damage that was done by the fires. They could put it out, but they couldn't reverse the damage. Death and sin have done a lot of damage in this world. Death grabs hold of every one of us. Families are torn apart by death. And I suppose the very worst thing that could happen to any parent is to have their child die. To have a little child die, that's a terrible thing. And in that moment of death, we wish... We just wish there's something that we could do to erase that pain. Something we could do to take it away. Something to relieve that pain. But the fact is, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he lives today, he can erase the pain of death forever. And so it doesn't matter whether it's a parent, whether it's a child, whether it's a brother or a sister. Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted. And he does it when he removes death. He took care of death forever. Now, a good question for you is, is do you want to live with family and friends forever? Do you want to see your family and friends again? Well, if you do, the very first thing you have to do is to be saved. Trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and I promise you the stinger of death will be removed from you. And then once that's been done for you, go out and tell your family, tell your friends about Jesus, because they need to have it removed as well. And the only way that you'll ever guaranteed you'll see family, friends, mom, dad, brothers and sisters or whomever is if they are believers in Jesus Christ. So this is what we have in the end of this chapter. We have victory in Jesus. And Paul's closing words in this section are like a taunt over the devil and over death and over sin. Satan cannot win this battle. Death can't win it. And that's because Jesus is alive. Jesus took away the sting of death And he lives to make sure that death will never triumph over us. Now that leads us to the final verse of the chapter. It's a great resurrection chapter. And the final verse tells us about this. Number four is the call to service. How should the resurrection of Christ and the knowledge of his second coming, how should that affect you? The raising of believers from the dead, how should that affect you? Well, here's how. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren... Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what are you to do now that you have this information? Should you go out and sit on the front porch in the swing and just kind of swing back and forth and look at the sky and wait for Jesus to come back? Is that what you're to do? No, there's a very important phrase here in verse number 58. Very important thing. It says, you should abound in in the work of the Lord. So this isn't information that you sit on. This is not something just to prop you up and make you feel better. This is information that has to get out. Now, when he talks about the work of the Lord, what's he talking about? Oh, we could mention many different things that are done in church work, all different kinds of things that we do when we come to church and and service that we give here. But all of our service is geared towards this one very important thing, and that's reaching others with the message of Jesus Christ so that we can tell them, Jesus is coming soon, and you need to be prepared for it. And if God didn't have that purpose in mind for you as a believer in Jesus, then what he would have done, he would have just, he would have just saved you and killed you, then put you in the tomb and let you wait for the resurrection. That makes that make giving people the gospel a tough sell, wouldn't it? We said, here, believe this. Donk, you're dead. Well, that doesn't happen. 
God has a purpose for every Christian living in the world. And that's why Paul began the great resurrection chapter, resurrection chapter in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. So this is what you need. You need to serve Christ. There is a call that's coming later. For sure, Jesus is coming back. And there will be that trumpet call. But there's also a call for you right now. The trumpet call, that's a sign for the change of unbelievers. The dead in Christ shall rise. It's a change for believers that they'll be transformed to be like Jesus. That's a call that's coming. But right now, there is also a call. And the call that Christ gives you is a call of service. And it's one that says you need to warn other people that Jesus is coming back. I gave you the conclusion in the beginning of the message. I'm sure you won't mind if I repeat the conclusion now. And that is that his coming is sudden. His coming is sure. No warning is going to be given. No announcements are going to be made. Christians don't know when Jesus is coming back, much less do non-Christians know. The difference, though, is that those who are Christians have been prepared for his coming by faith. Let me have you fill in the last blanks in your listening sheet. Ask yourself this question. Am I prepared for the marvelous change of believers or the monstrous change for unbelievers? Which is that for you? I mean, you can be prepared for the marvelous change. And all that takes is to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right now. That's all you have to do. Believe in him. And then the stinger of death will be removed for you. And a marvelous change will take place when Jesus comes again. But on the other hand, if you do not believe, then a monstrous change takes place. Because when Jesus comes back, he comes back with vengeance. He comes back to judge the world for its sin. You don't want to be in that judgment. Friend, you need to trust in Jesus Christ right now. And I promise you, if you trust him, you will have victory in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you now. Help us to keep our eyes focused, our minds focused on the second coming of Christ. Lord, may we be people who warn others that Jesus is coming again. But as we warn, we warn that he is still receiving lost sinners. Right now, Jesus will save anyone who will believe in him. But there is coming a day when there won't be another opportunity to trust you as Savior. So, Lord, we just ask you, speak to people's hearts today. May we talk to people. May your Holy Spirit work through us. And may you convict people of the coming of Christ and salvation in him. Bless our people as we sing the invitation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.